Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, put the hockey aside, put the hoops aside. Let's get to that little round white ball. Um, prior to today's show, I said, you know, we should really get a golf guy on with the fact that John Rahm walks off the course with a six-throat lead because he tested positive. They might have a good ending at the Memorial today, and we're only 11 days from the start of the U.S. Open. Let's see if we can get a golf guy on. And uh, my producer, Jimmy B., did a good job by getting Jason Sobel from the Action Network and SiriusXM's Golf Channel. Shoot, I knew Jason back in his ESPN days, and I've had him on many a time as a guest. Good to get him back on with me again tonight. Jason, Jody Mack here. How you doing, bud? Good evening, Jody Mack. Great to speak with you again, buddy. My pleasure. Um, I got a bunch of things I want to ask you, but I want to start here. How you, you, golf is your ballywick. I'm a fan. I'm a uh, interested observer, but it's not my uh, main uh, watching requirement on the weekends. But I try and catch at least some every week. I can absolutely say I have never seen a tournament stopped with two holes to go because of rain. Lightning, yes. Rain, no. Now it was coming down in torrential buckets. And if you ask me, I think that uh, they uh, kind of mishandled it by calling it in the middle of the final pairing where uh, Morikawa had to take his third shot on the hole before Cantlay did. Have you ever seen anything like that before? I will foreshadow what I think the rest of this interview can turn into by telling you that I think there were a lot of -of spur-of-the-moment decisions made by the PGA Tour this weekend. And, yes, that was among them. It it just kind of felt like, hey, it's raining. Go ahead and hit. Hey, now it's raining a little bit harder. Let's stop and wait for a few minutes. Yeah, I guess there are similar situations. And, yeah, it was probably raining a little bit too hard for them to continue. But you're right. really wasn't fair in that Colin Morikawa hit his shot. And then all of a sudden, before Patrick Cantley hits his, they say, hey, let's hang out for a few minutes and wait for this. So, again, I, I don't know where the fairness comes into it, and I don't know, and I didn't see Colin Morikawa's comments afterwards. I don't know if he was perturbed by that decision. But, like I said, there are a lot of very interesting decisions made this week and a lot of uh, decisions that just seem to be made kind of, hey, let's do this right now because it seems like the decision that we have to make. All right, we'll get to Rahm and him being told, yeah, you can't compete anymore even though you're up six strokes and uh, the way they came about that decision. But uh, I'd love to, I I will, uh, after I get off the air with you, uh, see if Colin Morikawa did say anything because, oh, I would if it were me. I I get it that golf tries to have standardized rules and they play through rain all the time and only stop for lightning. But if you're going to make that call, either you stick with it 
or if you've got two guys, and sometimes it's not a perfect way, but you've got the final pairing, and they're both on the same number of shots, how can you let one guy take a shot but then decide, all right, now we have to stop it? That's just flat out wrong. There's no way that you can explain that to me. I don't care if the heavens open up. It was a trickle before, and then the heavens opened up. No, he's got to – once you make more coward take that shot, you've got to do the same exact thing for Cantlay. I don't disagree with you. It's a really good point. Uh, it's one that I sort of thought about as I was watching, but there's also so much else swirling around in the middle of this. We had the U.S. Women's Open, which was a really good finish as well. We had that going on. So there's just a lot happening at that time. But, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right about that, Jody. I, I agree with you. All right. Uh, let's talk about what happened prior to the final round. John Rahm walks off the course with a six-stroke lead on Saturday and is informed afterwards – Sorry, John, you tested positive for COVID-19. Now, he had admitted that he had close contact with someone that was positive, so he Mm -hmm. had to have extra testing throughout the tournament and had come back negative after the first two days and then, sure enough, came back positive on the third day. Uh, They certainly want to protect everyone involved. Um, Is there a way that the PGA could have done it better in your eyes? Yeah, so I think there are a couple of things. Uh, First of all, most of this makes sense to me. I know a lot of people said, well, why couldn't he just play the next day as a single and not be around anybody else? And my answer to that is it's not the policy. I, you know, right. uh, golf is a game of rules. Last year, John Rahm won this golf tournament. Afterwards, uh, they were found that uh, a ball had moved just a little bit as he had hit a pitch shot. And so Rahm didn't even know it, and it didn't affect the tournament at all. He, he won by five and instead uh, got the penalty and – uh, it was two shots, and he won by three. Uh, did it give him an advantage in that situation? No, of course not, but that's the rule. It's black and white, and if the rule is uh, is what it is, then you have to abide by it, and that's the rule in this specific situation. isn't, hey, if you test positive during a tournament, then uh, you play by yourself the next day, and you can still go out there and win said tournament. That's not the rule. So I understand that part of it. The, the biggest question among a few of them that I still have, Jody, is the fact that there's supposed to be two positive tests. Uh, They're supposed to, you know, in case there's a false positive, they're supposed to retest. Well, what happened was they tested Rom on Saturday morning, and they had to still complete the second round at that point. And they tested him. The test came up positive at 4.20 p.m. local time in Muirfield Village. So they retested the same sample. Because he was out playing golf at that moment, they retested, didn't do another, a new test, but just retested the same sample from the first test and found that it was positive again. And uh, what a coincidence, they found that out at 6.03 p.m., which was as he was hitting his second shot into 18. So to me, it felt a little weird that, hey, he's allowed to finish the entire round, but as soon as he's done, he has to withdraw because of what they found. Now, what I don't understand, Jody, is why didn't they bring him off the golf course, tell him what had happened? Let him take a second test. They retest that sample. And if indeed, yes, he's tested positive once again, at 11 o'clock at night or whenever they get that test result back, they can then make him withdraw from the tournament. But why not at least go through the process of getting a second test sample before just going over there and saying, hey, you have to withdraw, you're out of the golf tournament. 
Very interesting. Um, and it makes me think of what happened in the Kentucky Derby just five weeks ago when uh, the winner tested positive and they did the same thing. It was a split sample. They tested the same sample again. They just split mm. it to make sure there was a second test. And I guess that's the way the PGA looked at it as well. The difference being that uh, uh, it takes longer to, I guess, come up with positive tests for the things they were looking for in the uh, PGA. And it could have been out of his system by then. Uh, in this case, maybe they thought there's no way the coronavirus goes away in this shorter period of time if he's got a positive. I just felt bad for John Rahm. That just stinks. He got a six-stroke lead and uh, you, you get uh, tossed out of the tournament. That just didn't seem right. All right I, I was trying to stay on top of the women's uh, U.S. Open as well. I didn't because I had to hop on the air. They finished once my show started, so I couldn't pay as uh, strict attention there. Also went into a sudden-death playoff? It did. So Lexi Thompson at one point held a five-stroke lead. Lexi Thompson, by the way, who, Jody, do the math on this for me. She's 26 years old, playing in her 15th career edition of the U.S. Women's Open. Damn. Which is unbelievable. Started playing when she was 12 years old. Started qualifying for this event. In any case, she's yet to win it. She had a five-shot lead uh, going towards the back nine. Shot 41 on the back. She was passed by Yuka Sasso and Nasa Hataoka, and they did a two-hole aggregate playoff, still tied after that. And then Sasso, who's a 19-year-old uh, and an up-and-comer, she had uh, she'd spoken earlier in the week about um, watching YouTube videos and watching Rory McIlroy's swing and sort of learning from Rory McIlroy. And uh, she, she apparently learned something because uh, she was able to win in that sudden-death playoff. And I was cool. Rory tweeted her back afterwards. He said, I think a lot of people are going to be watching – Yuka Sasso videos on YouTube now to watch your swing. So a cool story, an up-and-comer in the game. Lexi Thompson's a big name, at least here in the United States. But uh, I think we can appreciate some great golf by a really good up-and-coming young player. Damn, on the uh, ladies' tour, uh, it's all about the youth. Everywhere else in sports, it's all about the old guys. Tom Brady, um, uh, Helio Castaneves winning in the Indy last week. And that Mickelson guy at age 50 winning the PGA, which is where I want to go next. Uh, I guess the timing, you could say, is pretty damn good for Phil to find his game again, seeing as the only major he's never won is the U.S. Open. And it's coming up in 11 days. And it's in his backyard out there in California. I don't think he's going to be the favorite, but I believe he was 200 to 1 to win the PGA. Where do you think Phil will fall in line? I won't uh, ask you to quote a number like 22 to 1 or anything like that, but how many golfers do you think will be actually favored ahead of Phil going into the U.S. Open? Oh, I'll give you a number. Apparently he's between 40 and 50 to 1, depending on the book right now, and I think he's probably going to stay at about that number. He may even get – those odds might even get a little bit shorter over the next week and a half just because I think there are so many people out there that maybe don't necessarily think Phil is going to win, but – Hey, if you throw 10 bucks on Phil to win, you might not even cash that ticket. You might just frame it and put it up on your wall and say, hey, when Phil got the career grand slam, finally won a U.S. Open, I backed him. Here's my ticket. And that's a cool little souvenir to have as opposed sure. to uh, just going to collect some money off of that one. But, um, look, it, it, we in the journalism business, we reporters, we, we like a good story. We root for the story. Uh, Phil Mickelson trying to win the U.S. Open after six career runner-up finishes with just that event left to get to the career Grand Slam, the most exclusive club, I think, not just in golf, but maybe all of sports, with only five members 
in it for the for a game that's been around playing major championships for more than 150 years, and, and still trying to do that. Back in his hometown of San Diego, I mean, uh, all the storylines are there. The plot lines are there. This could be a fantastic story, but, Jody, like you, I, I didn't see Phil winning one at age 50, uh, which is, um, you know, not surprising. He wasn't playing great golf, and no player of his age had ever won a major championship before. I'd love to see him at least get into contention at Torrey Pines and give us something to write about and talk about, but I'm not so sure I see it coming in a couple of weeks. Agreed, and I hope I'm wrong. I was uh, My choice uh, was in non-contention by the weekend, uh, so, well, I shouldn't say by the weekend, but certainly by Sunday. Um, so uh, Phil got my brooding interest, and it will be the same exact thing next week when he has uh, the chance in his home course. How did the rest of the players on the tour feel about Phil? Uh, everyone, everyone always wanted to know how the rest of the tour felt about Tiger. Well, if not Tiger, then Phil is the guy that I think you would ask that question uh, about more than anyone else over the last decade or two. Uh, how popular or uh, non-popular is Phil in the clubhouse on the PGA Tour? They absolutely love him. They adore Phil Mickelson. Uh, I'm telling you, I was doing post-round interviews for SiriusXM's PGA Championship Radio during the entire event from Kiowa. And basically it was my job to uh, to interview these players as they're walking off the golf course. And on Saturday and, sun- and especially on Sunday, it looked like Phil Mickelson was going to win this golf tournament. I started asking players, Ricky Fowler, Paul Casey, Gary Woodland, guys like that, you know, what do you think of Phil? Man, I can't say enough good things about Phil. I love the fact he's going to win this. This is one of the coolest things ever. I had Keegan Bradley on my radio show a few days ago, and now Keegan is friends with Phil, and Keegan might be a little bit biased. He's played a lot of practice rounds with Phil, but Keegan said that he believes Phil Mickelson is the third greatest golfer of all time behind only Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus. That is, I think, some strong words, but you can at least make that case. Uh, I don't know that I can put Phil ahead of Bobby Jones and Ben Hogan, right now but again you you can make the case for him and it's not a very hard case to make and so uh getting back to the question yes these players absolutely love being around phil i I love being around phil phil is one of phil is absolutely my favorite guy might not be my favorite interview because he doesn't give you everything in a public interview that you usually would like but if i'm gonna run into a player in the player parking lot and spend 10 minutes just kind of shooting the breeze with a guy there's nobody I'd rather spend 10 minutes just kind of talking about life, about sports, about anything besides golf with than Phil Mickelson. He is absolutely spectacular just kind of as a person, quite honestly. Right. And you could talk about uh, making wages on something other than golf because we know yeah. Phil likes to wager. And that's why I'm a Phil Mickelson fan. And we do. All right. <laughs> um, I'm going to save uh, forty nine ninety nine tonight. I think. Oh shoot! It might be already underway in this uh, farce of a exhibition between Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul in the uh, made-for-TV pay-per-view fight they're having. Uh, not getting me, but I'll tell you something. I may pay forty nine ninety nine for if uh, Bryson DeChambeau. And uh, his newest arch enemy on the PGA Tour, Brooks Kepka, actually put on the gloves. I, I might pay to see that. We all know the backstory that these two guys don't like each other. And this weekend there was some action at the tournament. And DeChambeau didn't like the fact that the crowd was cheering him and got the officials involved. 
Is this a good thing or a bad thing for the PGA that you may have a uh, a good guy bad guy relationship between these two? Oh, I don't think it's a bad thing whatsoever. I've said for years, Jody, that uh, I think the game is better when we have players who inspire passion amongst the masses. And what I mean by that is that for so long there, you know, guys in a white golf shirt and khaki pants, and it's just some guy that hits the ball, and you're like, ah. Oh, Seems like a good guy. I don't know. Uh, not my favorite player. Don't hate him. Not going to root against him. And there are a whole lot of guys like that on the PGA Tour. There have been for a long time. I'm not saying that it needs to become professional wrestling, but what golf doesn't have that other team sports do have is that that obvious rooting interest. And, you know, if you're not gambling on a, a specific player on a weekly basis, then uh, you might not really have that investment, that engagement with uh, with some passion around who you want to win and, just as importantly, who you'd like to see lose. And so what we're getting now with Bryson and Brooks is everybody kind of taking a side. You're either Team Bryson or you're Team Brooks, and that's okay. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, if, it, if and when they do play together, I think it's going to be an absolute uh, mayhem uh, outside the gallery ropes, but uh, that's okay. Uh, that's not a bad thing for the game. And, again, uh, I think the whole thing's a little bit silly. I think there's a whole lot of social media stuff behind it, but it's okay. It gets okay. people talking, gets people rooting, gets people interested in the game, and gets them further engaged in a rooting interest for specific players, and I have no problem with that. If they are paired on a Sunday, it will be much less TV. We can agree on that. All right, but last question along those lines. Uh, call it what you want. Good guy, bad guy. White hat, black hat. If you want to go to the wrestling jargon, uh, babyface and heel, (laughs) who's who? Which is which? That's the one issue I have here. I don't know that I call either one of them a babyface, and I'm not sure I call either one of them a heel either. Somebody's got to be the good guy and somebody's got to be the bad guy, at least for Jason uh, Sobel, which is which? You know, I was having this conversation via text message with another PGA Tour player who's not involved in any of this. And he said he was Team Brooks. He said, I I played with Bryson. Bryson's just, he he thinks he's smarter than everybody else. He, you know, he tries to use all these scientific terms that he doesn't even know. And I said, you know, I get that. I'm kind of more Team Bryson, though. At least, at least Bryson. And I've had interactions with both these guys. Bryson, every time I have an interaction with him, he is nice, he is open, he is honest, he is trying to explain things. Now, granted, he might get into the, uh, the scientific jargon a little more than, uh, than we'd like, and you, know, you might roll your eyes at Bryson more so than probably any other player, but uh, Brooks, to me, seems like uh, he, he's kind of the, uh, the locker room bully, if you will, if this was high school. He'd be, he'd be the jock who's picking on the nerds out there and so uh you know i'll I'll give you an example brooks was uh the pga championship again i was doing these post-round interviews and i talked to him on wednesday after his practice round and i asked about his his knee because he had this knee injury had surgery earlier this year and it's a pertinent question and brooks said you know yeah it's i'm not injured but i am hurting and it's going to be a problem for a while to be lingering for maybe up to six months or so you know and so i'm really 100%, but it's a major, and I'm going to play through it. I said, okay, cool, thanks, great answer. The next day, after he played the first round, I asked him again, hey, how's your knee affecting you? Were you able to get around out there? I don't know why you're asking me about my knee. You know, my knee's not really that big of a deal. 
Okay, well, fast forward to Sunday, and no one asked him about the knee, and all of a sudden it's, man, these fans are engulfing us on the 18th fairway as we're walking to the green, and guys knocked into my knee, and you guys know my knee isn't 100%. So it, <laughs> there's definitely a narrative there for Brooks to control the message however he wants to control it, and usually the way he wants to control it is the opposite of what you're sort of insinuating towards him. So you ask him about the knee, he says, I don't want to talk about the knee. You don't ask him about the knee, it's, how come you didn't ask about my knee? You know, my knee's not great. So uh, that's kind of what we're getting from him these days. But again, uh, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it's, it's fine. It's just sort of his personal strategy about how he's dealing with the media right now. Very interesting. Jason, I knew you have good stories for us. You always have good insight. Thanks for sharing tonight, bud. I will get back to you again, my brother. Absolutely. You got it. Thanks, Jody. Jason Sobel from the Action Network and SiriusXM's Golf Channel. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.